Book One, Chapter Five of One of Ours. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. One of Ours by Willa Cather. Chapter Five. Claude waited for his elders to change their mind about where he should go to school, but no one seemed much concerned, not even his mother. Two years ago the young man whom Mrs. Wheeler called Brother Weldon had come out from Lincoln, preaching in little towns and country churches, and recruiting students for the institution at which he taught in the winter. He had convinced Mrs. Wheeler that his college was the safest possible place for a boy who was leaving home for the first time. Claude's mother was not discriminating about preachers. She believed them all chosen and sanctified, and was never happier than when she had one in the house to cook for and wait upon. She made young Mr. Weldon so comfortable that he remained under her roof for several weeks, occupying the spare room, where he spent the mornings in study and meditation. He appeared regularly at mealtime to ask a blessing upon the food and to sit with devout downcast eyes while the chicken was being dismembered. His top-shaped head hung a little to one side, the thin hair was parted precisely over his high forehead and brushed in little ripples. He was soft-spoken and apologetic in manner and took up as little room as possible. His meekness amused Mr. Wheeler, who liked to ply him with food and never failed to ask him gravely what part of the chicken he would prefer in order to hear him murmur, "'A little of the white meat, if you please,' while he drew his elbows close as if he were adroitly sliding over a dangerous place. In the afternoon Brother Weldon usually put on a fresh lawn necktie and a hard, glistening straw hat which left a red streak across his forehead, tucked his Bible under his arm, and went out to make calls. If he went far Ralph took him in the automobile." Claude disliked this young man from the moment he first met him, and could scarcely answer him civilly. Mrs. Wheeler, always absent-minded, and now absorbed in her cherishing care of the visitor, did not notice Claude's scornful silences until Mahaley, whom such things never escaped, whispered to her over the stove one day, "'Mr. Claude, he don't like the preacher. He just ain't got no use for him, but don't you let on.' As a result of Brother Weldon's sojourn at the farm, Claude was sent to the Temple College. Claude had come to believe that the things and people he most disliked were the ones that were to shape his destiny. When the second week of September came round, he threw a few clothes and books into his trunk and said good-bye to his mother and Mahaley. Ralph took him into Frankfurt to catch the train for Lincoln. After settling himself in the dirty day-coach, Claude fell to meditating upon his prospects. There was a Pullman car on the train, but to take a Pullman for a daylight journey was one of the things a wheeler did not do. Claude knew that he was going back to the wrong school, that he was wasting both time and money. He sneered at himself for his lack of spirit. If he had to do with strangers, he told himself, he could take up his case and fight for it. He could not assert himself against his father or mother, but he could be bold enough with the rest of the world. Yet if this were true, why did he continue to live with the tiresome Chapins? The Chapin household consisted of a brother and a sister. Edward Chapin was a man of twenty-six, 
with an old wasted face, and he was still going to school, studying for the ministry. His sister Annabel kept house for him. That is to say, she did whatever housework was done. The brother supported himself and his sister by getting odd jobs from churches and religious societies. He supplied the pulpit when a minister was ill, did secretarial work for the college and the Young Men's Christian Association. Claude's weekly payment for room and board, though a small sum, was very necessary to their comfort. Chapin had been going to the Temple College for four years, and it would probably take him two years more to complete the course. He conned his book on trolley-cars, or while he waited by the track on windy corners, and studied far into the night. His natural stupidity must have been something quite out of the ordinary. After years of reverential study he could not read the Greek Testament without a lexicon and grammar at his elbow. He gave a great deal of time to the practice of elocution and oratory. At certain hours their frail domicile, it had been thinly built for the academic poor, and sat upon concrete blocks in lieu of a foundation, re-echoed with his hoarse, overstrained voice, declaiming his own orations or those of Wendell Phillips. Annabel Chapin was one of Claude's classmates. She was not as dull as her brother. She could learn a conjugation, and recognize the forms when she met with them again. But she was a gushing, silly girl, who found almost everything in their grubby life too good to be true, and she was, unfortunately, sentimental about Claude. Annabel chanted her lessons over and over to herself while she cooked and scrubbed. She was one of those people who could make the finest things seem tame and flat merely by alluding to them. Last winter she had recited the odes of Horace about the house. It was exactly her notion of the student-like thing to do, until Claude feared he would always associate that poet with the heaviness of hurriedly prepared luncheons. Mrs. Wheeler liked to feel that Claude was assisting this worthy pair in their struggle for an education, but he had long ago decided that since neither of the Chapins got anything out of their efforts but a kind of messy inefficiency, the struggle might better have been relinquished in the beginning. He took care of his own room, kept it bare and habitable, free from Annabelle's attentions and decorations, but the flimsy pretenses of light housekeeping were very distasteful to him. He was born with a love of order, just as he was born with red hair. It was a personal attribute. The boy felt bitterly about the way in which he had been brought up, and about his hair, and his freckles, and his awkwardness. When he went to the theater in Lincoln he took a seat in the gallery, because he knew that he looked like a green country boy. His clothes were never right. He bought collars that were too high, and neckties that were too bright, and hid them away in his trunk. His one experiment with a tailor was unsuccessful. The tailor saw at once that his stammering client didn't know what he wanted, so he persuaded him that as the season was spring he needed light-checked trousers and a blue serge coat and vest. When Claude wore his new clothes to St. Paul's Church on Sunday morning, the eyes of everyone he met followed his smart legs down the street. For the next week he observed the legs of old men and young, and decided there wasn't another pair of checked pants in Lincoln. 
He hung his new clothes up in the closet and never put them on again, though Annabel Chapin watched for them wistfully. Nevertheless, Claude thought he could recognize a well-dressed man when he saw one. He even thought he could recognize a well-dressed woman. If an attractive woman got into the streetcar when he was on his way to or from Temple Place, he was distracted between the desire to look at her and the wish to seem indifferent. Claude is on his way back to Lincoln, with a fairly liberal allowance which does not contribute much to his comfort or pleasure. He has no friends or instructors whom he can regard with admiration, though the need to admire is just now uppermost in his nature. He is convinced that the people who might mean something to him will always misjudge him and pass him by. He is not so much afraid of loneliness as he is of accepting cheap substitutes, of making excuses to himself for a teacher who flatters him, or waking up some morning to find himself admiring a girl merely because she is accessible. He has a dread of easy compromises, and he is terribly afraid of being fooled. End of Book One Chapter Five Recording by Tom Weiss